welcome to the Wednesday edition of Feedback. You're on air, Town Square, here on the Voice of Berks and Beyond, News Talk 830 WEEU. Good morning, everyone. I'm Bill Saunders, along with Sean Tansky, my producer today, and the one who's answering the phones and grabbing sound for me to use on the show, which I appreciate, which he did early this morning for me. Our number is here at 610 374 8800, toll free, 401 0459 and our email address is feedback at 830weeu.com and if you'd like us to read your email on the air you know what to do but I'm going to repeat it anyway include your first name the town you live in and let us know whether or not we have your permission to read it on the air I love ABBA I'm really getting into this song no doubt about it I don't want to fade it down there but I've got to here are today's top three topics. A state senator wants to change voter requirements in Pennsylvania. We'll discuss what requirement he wants to add. A proposal by the Biden administration could raise your water bill significantly. And wait till you hear how much that amount could be. And how well did the uncommitted movement in Michigan do? We'll dive into that. Okay, let's get started here. That's the topics uh, of the day. Let's start off with this state senator who wants to... Uh, add a new requirement to uh, what uh, someone needs to fulfill in order to vote here in the state. I got this from politicspa.com. The uh, legislator is State Senator Chris Dush. He is a Republican from Jefferson County. And what he wants to do is introduce legislation that increases eligibility requirements for voter, voter registration. He's aiming to add mental competency to the conditions, as well as what is called exclusive registration. All right, so let's talk about this a little bit. Pennsylvania has no voting competency laws on the books now that could affect an individual's right to vote. Election officials and poll workers, therefore, cannot question the ability of a voter with an intellectual disability, mental illness, brain injury, dementia, or other cognitive limits, limits, and certainly may not bar them from exercising their right to vote. Well, Dush's legislation would bar those deemed mentally incompetent by courts from voting in Pennsylvania. The courts would notify election officials so they could cancel the voters' registration. Apparently, 34 states already have this provision in place, but not Pennsylvania. Dush has also been a critic of the state's involvement in the Electronic Registration and Information Center. Now, that's designed to help participating states in maintaining accurate voter rolls. With that in mind, Dush also is calling for those moving to this state to exclusively register or re-register with the Commonwealth rather than states sharing information on that voter's registration information. He says, making voter registration contingent on revoking or disclaiming any prior registrations can help reduce duplicate registrations. He claims there were as many as 80,000 duplicate voter registrations in the state last year. So uh, the question that I raise to you is, should we have uh, what these 34 other states have on their books, uh, a requirement that you must be mentally competent in order to vote? here in the state of Pennsylvania. 610-374-8800, toll-free, 888-401-0459. Love to get your comments on that. I know we talked about uh, people running for office, particularly for the presidency, 
may be uh, undergoing a mental competency test. We've talked about that. But in this case, should voters also go through such a, a requirement? Well, yeah, I talked about uh, in the beginning of the show, I said that the, the Biden administration has a proposal that would increase how much your water bill will go up. And not only is it a staggering amount for households, but guess what? The Pentagon is also concerned about this proposal. I'll get into that in just a bit. I got this from the Washington Examiner. Here's what they're reporting. Without so much as a whisper of pushback from Congress, the White House is bulldozing forward with a regulatory proposal that could cost the average household, are you ready for this, up to $10,000 more in water costs. Yeah, you heard me right. $10,000. Are you ready, ready to pay a an annual water bill that'll cost you that much more from what you're paying now? But it's not only President Biden's campaign that is scared of this latest forefront of the president's green agenda. Biden's own Pentagon is panicking over the proposal, and I'll get to that in just a minute. The World Health Organization now recommends that governments limit something called polyfluoroalkyl substances, also known as PFAs, or forever plastics. You may have heard of them referred to that way. These are resistant to breaking down in either the environment or the human body at a level, at a level of 100 parts per trillion. That's what the World Health Organization is recommending, that we reduce the amount of these PFAs that's in the water down to a level of 100 parts per trillion. But the Environmental Protection Agency is trying to reduce its advisory limit of 70 parts per trillion to a hard limit of four parts per trillion for two prevalent types of PFAs, PFO and PFOs, for all, or PFOA and PFOS for all drinking water. Yeah, they want to give, even though the, the World Health Organization says a level of 100 parts per trillion is okay, no, the Biden administration wants to bring that down to four parts per trillion. In other words, Biden would decrease the Obama administration's suggested PFAS limit to a legal maximum of 94.3%. The new standard would be 4% of the WHO's recommendation and less than one-tenth of one percent of that of Australia and New Zealand. According to a Black and Veatch consulting report commissioned by the American Water Works Association, or AWWA, the EPA's proposed standards would increase water costs by anywhere from $80 to $11,150 a year for each household. <laughs> this is nuts! Contrary to the EPA's estimate of $1 billion extra in annual costs added to water utilities, the AWWA argues the new standards would amount to $3.8 billion in new annual costs for water utilities across the country. But according to the Pentagon, it's not just household budgets that are at risk of this proposal, if this proposal succeeds. It's also our national security. Get a load of this. The Department of Defense is reliant on the critically important chemical and physical properties of PFAS to provide required performance for the technologies and consumable items and articles which enable military readiness and sustainment. So said a Pentagon report that was sent to Congress last August. 
Losing access to PFAS due to overly broad regulations or severe market contractions would greatly impact national security and DOD's ability to fulfill its mission, that report went on to say. According to the Department of Defense, PFAS are found in its infrastructure related to information technology, critical manufacturing, healthcare, renewable energy, and transportation, including within batteries, semiconductors, and most weaponry. Even before the EPA's new standards come into effect, the Pentagon estimated it would require $39 billion to clean up PFAS contamination past the Obama-era recommendation. In total, nearly 3,000 private wells by 63 military bases are considered contaminated, with some combined levels of PFOS and PFOA at 10,000 parts per trillion or 25,000 times higher than what the EPA would allow under these new standards. Wow. The White House Office of Regulatory Affairs is now reviewing the final rule. If it pushes the standards through prior to a Congressional Review Act deadline of May 21st, this baseless standard will become law without so much as a peep from our so-called lawmakers, reports the Washington Examiner. Are you ready to pay up to $10,000 more a year for your water? I'm not. (laughs) I'll tell you that much. And then there's this. Um, I know people have been concerned about uh, what our commitment to Ukraine has been. Well, now our, our, uh, our leaders in Washington, as well as those in, uh, in, among our European allies, are saying there are no plans now to send troops to Ukraine. This, according to Reuters, the United States and key European allies said yesterday they have no plans to send ground troops to Ukraine. This after France hinted at the possibility. And the Kremlin warned that any such move would inevitably lead to conflict between Russia and NATO, something we certainly don't need. France's president, Emmanuel Macron, had said this past Monday that Western allies should exclude no options in seeking to avert a Russian victory in Ukraine, though he stressed there was no consensus at this stage. His comments made at a hastily convened meeting of European leaders in Paris on ways to boost flagging support for Kyiv come amid battleground or battlefield gains by Vladimir Putin's forces in eastern Ukraine, as well as growing shortages of ammunition and manpower on the Ukrainian side. However, Germany, Britain, Spain, Poland, and the Czech Republic have all distanced themselves from any suggestion they might commit ground troops to the Ukrainian war, now in its third year. The White House later reiterated that it, too, had no plan to send ground troops, instead urging U.S. lawmakers to approve a stalled security aid bill that would ensure Ukrainian troops got the weapons and ammunition needed to continue their fight. All right, with that said, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, the possibility of a shutdown if Congress can't come up with the... with an approved bill to uh, include and continue spending down there in Washington. Here we go again. You're listening to Feedback on this Wednesday morning, and I thank you for that. Stay with us.
I feel more informed when I listen. News Talk 830, WEEU. And now back to Feedback with Bill Saunders on 830 WEEU, the voice of Berks and Beyond. Welcome back to Feedback. Our numbers here are 610-374-8800 or toll-free, 888-401-0459. Right now, we're going to head over to the uh, Newsmaker line, where I'm joined by Kathleen Rafferty. She's a physical therapist with South Mountain Physical Therapy. They have two locations. The one that Kathleen is at is 4740 Penn Avenue in Sinking Spring, and their other location is in Leesport at 1001 James Drive, Suite A14. Kathleen, good morning. Welcome to Feedback. Good morning. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks. So today we're going to talk about TMJ pain and how yes. physical therapy may be able to help. Yes. So, so let's start off by explaining what is TMJ. So TMJ stands for temporomandibular joint. It's your jaw joint, basically. Oh, okay. And D is for dysfunction. And a lot of people have clicking and popping and things like that that goes on in their jaw. But when you have, and that's not too uncommon, and it's most of the time not a problem. But when you have, start to have pain or stiffness in that joint, you can't open your mouth all the way or difficulty chewing, then it becomes a problem. And uh, physical therapy can address that because a uh, temporomandibular joint is a joint, and oftentimes it can be a musculoskeletal problem. Now, I've got a silly question for you, and I know no question is silly, but this one just might be. This, this, we're not talking about lockjaw here, are we? Well, lockjaw could be something um, of an infection. That's what I thought. Right. That's a little bit different, but your jaw can lock because of a mechanical problem in the jaw. Your jaw joint actually has a disc in it, just like your back has a disc. Oh. Or a little piece of cartilage, and your knee has cartilage in it. There's a little piece of cartilage in your jaw joint. And sometimes that cartilage gets displaced, and your jaw can lock. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So most of the time people will go to their dentist and get it all checked out, um, but physical therapy actually addresses the jaw joint itself. How so about that? So we can help you uh, with that. All right, just in case anybody was thinking it was locked jaw that we were talking about, it, it's it, – to a, to a certain extent, that's a symptom, but that's not the name that we're talking about here. It's, right. It's that's, TMJ. That's a pretty serious medical – uh, condition, but you know, it's something that's been going on in pain with chewing and you haven't been exposed. I forget what actually, <laughs> that's a good question, what lockjaw is caused from, but that's <laughs> not what we're talking about. Gotcha. Here. So, what are the causes of TMJ that we're talking about here today? Well, you know, sometimes uh, teeth aren't aligned real great. And so, over time, when the, when the bite isn't a good alignment, over time, a bad alignment will cause problems. Sometimes it's postural because, believe it or not, the, you know, like the old song, the neck bone's connected to the, well, in this case, the jawbone, uh, and it's not directly connected, but it does have soft tissue connect, connections, um, maybe not a lot of mus direct muscle connections, but fascial connections, which can um, change the alignment of the jaw. I mean, a, a perfect example is if you sit with your chin slightly tucked in and open your mouth mm -hmm. versus if you jut your head way fall far forward and open oh, wow. your mouth. It feels a lot different. So the position of the neck can affect how the jaw functions. 
So it can be postural related. There's also a lot of sometimes emotional components related to it. Stress. I hear a lot of my patients say, oh, when I'm stressed, I'm clenching my teeth. Ah, yes. Yes. And so that constant muscle tension can create some tightness and some poor movement quality in the jaw. So, you know, this is a multidisciplinary discipline area that we treat. We need a dentist involved sometimes because, or orthodontist because it's mm-hmm. in alignment. Okay. Sometimes we need some psychological support because somebody has a lot of stress they're having a difficult time coping with and it's coming out in the tension in the jaw. Um, Sometimes uh, the dentist can also do like a bite guard to help people take the stress off the joint if they are clenching at night. Mm -hmm. And then physical therapy addresses the joint itself, the muscles, the soft tissue attachment, the positioning, and the movement quality. So we kind of try to work together to find a solution for the patient. Can sleep patterns also or sleep positions also lead to TMJ? Yeah, actually, I mean, your sleep position is a sustained posture during the night. And if you have a ton of pillows and your head is way far far forward from your body, um, that's a lot of muscle tension over a long period of time. It can um, affect the joint, the jaw joint a little bit, um, you know, along with neck and, you know, sometimes shoulder um, pain and shoulder joint problems can can be affected by sleeping position. So, yeah, I address sleeping position, too. I ask questions and see if there's anything that needs to be addressed there. All right, before we go on with TMJ, to sleep patterns again or sleep positions, as a physical therapist, what do you recommend for people, that they sleep on their back, their side, their tummy? What what position is best? You're talking to somebody who loves sleep. <laughs> So my answer is usually whatever position you can get good sleep in. Oh, really? I like that answer. I'll take that. I mean, I think sleep is so really important in general health. And so, like, just get sleep, and then we'll deal with the rest later. (laughs) But sleep is really important, along with, like, hydration and good nutrition and exercise. Sleep is up there with that. So I wouldn't want to change anything for somebody and have them not sleep because they're not comfortable Um, But, you know, maybe you can make small changes. And probably the biggest thing for me is, you know, I go over posture when somebody's standing. And if they're standing, the ear should be in line with the tip of the shoulder, should be in line with the outside part of their hip and so on. Well, that posture, that alignment should also be maintained when you're sleeping, too. So like stacking four pillows on top of, I mean, underneath your head and having your head way forward from your body takes that head out of alignment from the rest of the body. Oh, wow. So I like very minimal pillows. Um, if you're going to have a pillow, maybe some of it underneath your shoulder joint. And then sometimes I'll recommend like a contoured pillow or something to help support the natural curve of the neck, which should be there. Gotcha. But it all depends on what the person's posture is. Maybe they don't have a natural curve. Ah. So, you know, it okay. all involves on the assessment. But okay. I like sleep. Sleep is important. It's healthy to get good sleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> so whatever position floats your boat, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> Just get good sleep, man. That's really important. It's, you know, it's a great time for our body to heal, for our brains to process and put things file things away where they're supposed to go and yeah sleep is good stuff i took you off topic there for a moment I that's okay Uh, i go off topic a lot (laughs) (laughs) but back to tmj now as a physical therapist if i came to you and said i'm suffering from tmj uh what would you what would you do to help me out there 
Well, I'd ask a lot of questions first, and I need to find out, like, what exactly is your problem? Where is your pain? When do you have the pain? How is this affecting your life? And then from there, I, I look at your posture. I look at the amount of movement that you have, opening and closing your jaw. I palpate the joint itself on both sides, see, feel how the joint is moving. I check strength. I um, check the joint itself. I'll see how much mobility is in the joint. Is it stiff? I'll check teeth alignment. I'll check and see if the jaw moving side to side well. And uh, from there, I see where the problems are, and I develop my treatment plan. Okay. And away we go. Uh, can you give us some idea as to what kind of treatment uh, plan you, you'd come up with for this? Posture education. Sometimes I'll do some soft tissue uh, mobilization and get into a lot of times people have a lot of trigger points in around the jaws that chew. Those are called muscles of mastication if you want to impress somebody. <laughs> but <laughs> mastication is chewing. So the muscles that help you chew um, oftentimes will be sore. They might need some manual work. I might go in there and with and mobilize the jaw joint. I'll get my thumb on your molars and kind of move that jaw joint a little bit. Um, I'll retrain the person how to rest their jaw. A resting position is really important. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Take some time during the day and notice how often you're clenching your teeth. Really, in a resting position, your teeth should not be touching. And so I do a lot of education and posture and things like that. And then I might do some exercises to help them increase the range of motion or their opening um, or the deviation from side to side. Because when we chew, we go all different directions. Yeah, we, we grind do. our food with our molars. And um, so I'll, I'll teach them that. I'll teach them strengthening exercises. If we need to address posture, I'll address posture with some postural exercises, strengthening, stretching, whatever. A lot of yeah. these, a lot of these habits, though, are 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 are, um, are, are that we do it subconsciously. We're not aware that we're grinding yeah. our teeth or, or you know, really uh, clenching our jaws. <laughs> how can we? How can we become aware that we're doing this? Well, that's like with everything in life, right? Habits uh, are subconscious. That's why they're habits. They're things we do naturally. So to relearn a new habit, first of all, you need to be aware of it. So. I'll make people aware by teaching them, by putting them in front of the mirror and showing them, by taking a picture of their posture and showing them posture. And um, I'll even do videos sometimes, oh. you know, with posture or gait if I'm retraining things and trying to develop new habits. So the first thing of any habit in life and in TMJ treatment is becoming aware of the problem and then teaching how to retrain, okay, mm -hmm. different cues and things on how to retrain opening, whether it's putting your, you know, certain pressure on your, on your jaw, on your mandible, which is the lower part of your jaw, your chin, and, and retraining that way. And it, just like developing any new habit, it takes, number one, awareness. Number two, it takes practice. Now, practice. now, normally when when uh, when I talk with you folks at South Mountain Physical Therapy about uh, a, a particular uh, condition, uh, we mention that a doctor's referral isn't necessary uh, to come see you first. In this case, where we're talking about a dentist and not a doctor, is a referral needed first before they come to you in this instance, or no? No, it's it's still a referral is not needed. We have direct access physical therapists here, which means you can come and be treated for 30 days for a condition without a doctor's order. 
but we'll, you know, when you come, we'll evaluate you. If we think there's some dental issues or orthodontic issues, we'll make a referral and a consult and suggest a consult. If we think there's a serious problem with the jaw joint, we might refer to um, an oral surgeon to assess. So, again, this is a team approach. If we think there's a very strong psychological component, this per- person, unfortunately, might be burdened with a lot of difficulties in their day, and they need to address that part, too. We'll make that consult, too. But a lot of times we get our referrals from dentists because that's where people go in general when, you know, they're trying to open their mouth for the dentist and they can't, they're limited or they have pain. Then they'll say, oh, you got some jaw problems. Let's send you to physical therapy. Kathleen, share with the folks uh, the hours of operation, the locations for South Mountain Physical Therapy and how they can get in touch with you. Okay. So both offices are open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And uh, the uh, Sinking Spring office is located in the Sinking Spring Plaza at 4740 Penn Avenue, and our phone number is 610-927-5183. The Leesport office is um, at 183 behind the Wawa at 1001 James Drive, Suite A14. Their phone number is 484-671-2065. And if I said that too fast, you can always go to the website at www.southmountainpt.com and uh, check out our site and get all the information to contact us. Kathleen Rafferty, a physical therapist with South Mountain Physical Therapy. She's at the uh, Stinking Spring location, by the way. Kathleen, thank you. Great information today. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, thanks, Bill. Great questions. (laughs) (laughs) Even though they were stupid. (laughs) No, they weren't. They were really good questions. (laughs) I'm just teasing. Thanks, Kathleen. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye now. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more. Pablo, hang in there, buddy. I will get to your call in just a bit. i got to get caught up on uh, the commercials here. I'm sorry. You've been waiting a long time to get on with me, and I appreciate your patience. So I'll take you first thing after this break when feedback continues in just a bit. Serving Collegeville, North Wales, King of Prussia, and all of Montgomery County, this is News Talk 830 WEEU. And now back to feedback with Bill Saunders on 830 WEEU, the voice of Burks and Beyond. We could be the last two on earth to start a new world. That's a little bit of the tubes for you here on The Voice of Berks and Beyond, News Talk 830 WEEU. Welcome back to Feedback. Let's quickly go to the phones. Pablo's been patiently waiting, which I thank him for doing. Pablo, good morning. Welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, sir. I just want to talk about military. Uh, my ex-father-in-law passed away um, two Saturdays ago. I'm sorry, the 17th. Oh, I'm so and sorry. It, and his funeral was yesterday, and it was a military funeral. Okay. Uh, uh, right there in Fifth Street, the uh, viewing was from um, from 9 to 11, and I and then we went up to 11 into the veterans place up that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what it, um, the, um, the military. Um, um, he had a military funeral. I never seen that before in my life. It was the most. So I'm, I was like touched. I, the way they did it, a uh, 16th gun salute, 
the way they did the flag, oh, the way they took the coffin out of the uh, hearse, and they put and they put it in and to see, and and the way those soldiers carried it out with the respect and that beautiful flag on it. And, I mean, I was so touched. My, I had a, all my nieces and nephews were there, and and my ex brother-in-law and sister-in-law and my mother-in-law, uh, my ex-wife and my kids were there, and I. They, we were like touched the way that that was and stuff. I mean, if you not you don't serve, and I see the sacrifices now he did. He never really. I was married to his daughter for almost 24 years, mm-hmm. and and he never really talked about when he was in the service. But man, I, when I find out all the medals he won in in in, in um, Korea, and um, he was a. Uh, I never knew he. I knew he was a policeman, but I never knew he was a detective for um, drug force in Puerto Rico. And then when he got drafted and he came up in the ranks, he 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 um he has his own little platoon or whatever you call it with, with 50 um, men and stuff. And and now I find out some of his um, compadres were there too, and they were up in that age, like in the 90s almost. And then, and then one of them spoke and and about how my father-in-law saved his life against the enemy and stuff. I, I mean, it was, like, touching. I, I never knew nothing about and a lot. I guess a lot of these Army people keep their mouths. I mean, they don't talk about it because it's very hard. But, wow, I mean, I was impressive with the man he, he was. That's also a characteristic of that generation, too, Pablo. Uh, yeah. And uh, and wow, I, I'm telling you that yeah, the military funerals are are incredible. And yeah, and then the way they folded the flag and and handed over to my mother-in-law with some of the shells from the ones they used, and then they gave some of the shells to the the sons and daughters too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, wow, I I was I was touched. I mean. I mean, sometimes I, you think about it, uh, and then it's like those are the people who fought. For our freedom to talk, sometimes the junk we talk about our, our people and all that. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. And I, I mean, without them, we won't have that the freedom we have now to talk against our government or talk about get against other you know things and stuff. And then um, I'm like, wow! I mean, to every veteran out there and people who are serving now, men and women, thank you for your services. And thank you for keeping the freedom for me to talk to you and the things we do. I could walk out of here. I'm free to walk anywhere I want. Some countries, you can't even do that. That's true. Well, that's the only thing I wanted to say. And thank you for being in the radio. And, and the, the guy who picked up the phone, he got a great name. I Sean, Sean Tansky. That's my, that's my new producer. And, uh, and he's, he just started this week. And I'm very happy that he's on board with me. Well, I hope he stays there for a long time, and hopefully his, his future be bright and, and cheerfully right there. Okay, there you my go. Friend? And thank you for taking the phone and taking the time to listen to me. And, Pablo, our, our deepest condolences to you and your family on the loss. Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. Bye. You take care. Thanks for sharing with us today. All right, let's go to uh, Richard in Wyoming, who takes, uh, he says that uh, some information or misinformation could affect, uh, what, all three topics that I started the show with today. Yes, I think uh, those three topics, which are good ones, I think uh, some of the things that I wanted to say about uh, disinformation affects all of them. And uh, I just 
start off with I, I, one of the questions was about mental competency for yeah. voters and so on. I, I'm, I'm not so sure. I, I'd have to look into that. But I know many people call in and say that, uh, you know, Biden makes uh, gaps constantly and, uh, you know, and because of his uh, age and so on and, and his stutter and and his forgetfulness, uh, many of your listeners often say how, you know, he, he's mentally incompetent. Uh, I, I got a kick after the South Carolina primary, uh, you know, uh, former President Trump, uh, before he started to mock not only Nikki Haley, but like almost everybody else on the podium. Um, he said first he wanted to thank uh, his family, and then he picked up a card and started reading their names. And uh, not only did he uh, mispronounce his wife, who wasn't even there with him, uh, he, he first he said uh, uh, Melanie, and then he said Mercedes and so forth. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, before I guess you, I Before you move on. Before you move on, what's up with uh, with uh, Melania not showing up at, at his campaign stops? Uh, I think she's pretty sick of politics. I don't. I, I think maybe you know. I don't. I don't like to speculate about if people's marriages are on the rocks or whatever. But I, you know, she's made it pretty clear this campaign she doesn't want to. You know, she wants to be out of uh, politics. That's my guess, but I'm sure. Maybe your listeners have other views on that. But well, it certainly, anyway, doesn't, my, it certainly doesn't bode well, though, for someone running for president if his spouse isn't by his side. Do you agree with me there? I do agree with you. Yes, I agree with that. And Jill Biden has been very supportive of uh, Joseph Biden. But anyway, my main point um, today is that all three of those topics that you mentioned – uh, I think, that, you know, disinformation really affects all of them. And I, I was going to quote from a book by uh, Barbara McQuaid, which came out yesterday called Attack from Within, how disinformation is sabotaging America. But instead, instead of that, um, on page A7 of today's uh, Reading Eagle, and I won't read the whole thing, although they're much shorter than uh, many uh, things that, uh, you know, ha are, are read sometimes. But it, it's by uh, a lady from Reading. Uh, oh, you're still there, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's from a, a Reading lady named Mary Ellen Davidson, and she gave permission to read her name, you know, by writing that. But it says um, all of us, when we look at questions like the ones you mentioned, should seek reliable sources uh, when deciding on views. And she starts by saying no one's opinion is better or worse than their source of information. And the first paragraph, which I won't read because I think it's much too long, uh, talks about uh, compare the New York Times that's been around since 1851 and a winner of 132 Pulitzer Prizes with the uh, Murdoch News Corporation found in 1996. And then it mentions all the 377 lawsuit settlement. But anyway, I won't read that. But her main point in the letter is many media outlets tell only one-sided story, but opinion is different from lying. And then she says Fox News is still America's most 
watch, watched cable channel. Uh, when P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute, he grossly underestimated. Um, people, then she goes on to say, people should know America's political system is a democratic republic. Capitalism is an economic system. Her second point was the Treasury Department says the Biden administration led a historic economic uh, recovery. And then she goes on with wage growth and uh, the national debt and all this and that. Uh, But again, I won't read that because it's too long. The ending, though, says the Economic Policy Institute says corporate CEO pay was 366 times average pay in 2020. By 2021, it went up uh, 399 times. So trickle down doesn't work. And, you know, many people who are so concerned about the deficit and so concerned, you know, that uh, people may be cheating on welfare or whatever, they don't seem to mind that there's this great income inequality. Um, let's see. The end says the Congressional Budget Office says immigrants will add seven trillion dollars to gross domestic product over 10 years and that America's COVID-19 death rate was far higher than any other advanced country. Uh, lies about those with bleach and ivermectin uh, killed thousands. Uh, be careful trusting sources. And that, again, is uh, on page A7 of today's Reading Eagle by Mary Ellen Davison of Reading. So I think all three of your topics, you know, um, make sure, you know, people often have opinion, but they have opinion because all they do is listen to either Fox News or Dan Bongino or something far right, or they listen just to MNSNBC, you know. Well, uh, well, let me, let me well, hold on, hold on for a minute. You, you mentioned, uh, again, you mentioned that the, the, the first three stories that I shared on the air this morning, uh, mm-hmm. how misinformation can affect them. Which one of my stories uh, has misinformation in it? Oh, no, I'm not saying any three of them may have misinformation. I'm just saying that before people form an opinion on those three things, you know, instead of just shooting from the hip and thinking, oh, I heard such and such. uh, Yeah, uh, there are too many people who aren't uh, mentally competent uh, to vote. And, and, you know, uh, (laughs) they they form an opinion based on stuff that they've been said. I I think they should look into it. Like I've been reading a lot of right far right uh, things. I go to Barnes and Noble and, and I specifically look for, um, you know, if, if Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or whoever has a book, uh, if it's on, I read it. But then on the other hand, like I'll read, uh, you know, Barbara McQuaid, who's a professor of law at the University of Michigan, and a legal analyst, like before I form opinions, I'm not saying any of those are disinformation. I'm just saying before I, you know, call the uh, town square on the air <laughs> and, and voice an opinion on it, I want to read uh, all different sides and then look who has the most, you know, facts that seem to be backed up by truth 
on their side. All and right, if it's a, all right, I'm, I'm, up, I'm up against a hard commercial break there, so I okay. get your point. But again, uh, real quick, this is the reason why every time I share an article with, with the audience, I always say where I got it for several mm-hmm. reasons, for several reasons. First of all, to give you some sense as to uh, what uh, ideology they're using in writing mm-hmm. the story. Is this a conservative publication? Is it a liberal? Uh, is it a mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, middle-of-the-road type thing? And secondly, if somebody questions what they hear on the air, they can go mm-hmm. to that source that I quoted and mm-hmm. uh, and read it for themselves. So that's the reason why I always start yeah. every article with where I got mm-hmm. it. All right, I got to go, yep. Richard. Thank you. I okay. appreciated the call today. Thank you. All right, bye-bye now. We'll be back with more feedback in just a bit. Stay with us. Serving Bethel, Hamburg. Birdsboro and all of Berks County. This is News Talk 8. All right, uh, we've got a programming note for you this coming Friday at 10 a.m. I'll be joined by Ari Middleman. He's with a group called Keep Our Republic, uh, whose goal is to keep integrity in our elections. That's coming up Friday at 10 a.m. Ari Middleman, my guest here on Feedback. That does it for hour number one. Hour number two comes your way in just a bit, but in just a bit. to feedback with Bill Saunders on 830 WEEU, the voice of Berks and beyond. Standing in the rain. Welcome back to feedback on this Wednesday morning, this wet Wednesday morning, a morning that feels like it's mid uh, mid spring, doesn't it? What did I say, Beryl? 57 degrees is what it is outside right now. Wow. We'll be back to the higher temperatures a little bit later on, but it's going to dip overnight and uh, be back more seasonable uh, tomorrow. Uh, Welcome back to Feedback. You're on air, Town Square, right here on The Voice of Berks and Beyond. I'm Bill Saunders along with Sean Tansky. And our numbers here are 610-374-8800 or toll-free. 888 You might recall one of the first calls that, uh, that I took today was from Pablo, who shared his experience about uh, attending a military funeral yesterday. Well, I've got Ardell on the line now who wants to discuss that with us today. Ardell, thank you first and foremost for waiting. You've been so oh, patient. Okay. I appreciate that. Good morning. That's okay. I'm not going anyplace. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little storm here a while ago. Did you have it in town? Oh, yeah. We had a few claps of thunder. Yes, uh huh. Rain hard. Yeah, there for a while my phone wasn't working right. Well, anyway, yeah. Oh, I never was at. I say, I think it's Indian Town Gap, isn't it, where they have the military funeral? I, I believe so. you're right. Yes. Well. I know there's a military was, college yeah. there, an army college yeah. there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, um, well, it's over ten years already. I can't believe it. My husband was a four-year Marine Corps vet, but luckily he was between wars. Yeah. Uh, Korea, uh, Korean, yeah, Korean and Vietnam. Okay. But he served four years, and they said, oh, last year you didn't get any time overseas. So they, what they do is send him to Japan. I wish he would have went to oh, Europe wow. instead of Japan. Maybe I could have went along, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> we were living down off his base <clears throat> the last uh, 
about a year and a half before he went over. But anyway, yeah, all oh, the funeral. They had two fully dressed, you know, uh, the regular, what do they call that, you know, Marine Corps uniforms, you know, full dress, and two of them. And then they fold the flag up. There's just a certain way. just goes in that triangle. Oh, first of all, they didn't uh, have a, a play, um, you know, the taps in the person. They had a recording. But that still, you know, it still gets you to hear the Yeah, tap. it does. True. Yeah. And then they stoops down and he gives me the flag. And at the time, it was uh, President Obama. Yes, he says President Obama. I can't remember everything he says, but yes, it's very touching. Yeah. And then they put it in a nice uh, plastic zippered, uh, uh, like a cover. Yeah, like a, yeah. So I have it now. I don't know how I'm going to do with it after after I'm going, because I don't have any children. Maybe I'll give it to my nieces or someone. Well, there's a, I was, while you were talking, I I, uh-huh. uh, I Googled uh, the reason why the military folds a flag up into a, into the shape of a triangle during a, uh, during oh. a funeral. Uh-huh. Uh, and they do it because it actually is meant to resemble a tri-cornered hat, like the ones worn by George Washington. Oh, and, my God. No, and other soldiers yeah. who served in the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. Uh, oh, my God. And they say well, the problem. Nice they say the process begins by folding the flag lengthwise two times. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, very interesting. Uh, yeah. I, kn- I knew there was a reason behind that, and I couldn't remember yeah, I what it knew. was. But there you go. Boy, well, you're never too old to learn, I'm telling you. This is true. Yeah. Well, that one woman on, uh, she's moving, uh, what's her name, Peggy. Yeah, they're going to go to retirement place and all, but she said they lived there like, what did she say, how many years? I forget, 30-some. Well, this past Sunday, I'm here 52 years. Oh, wow. I can't believe it. Oh, wow. Since we moved in here, 52 years. And I'll bet those years went by fast, didn't they? Yeah, and there's so many changes. Oh, my God. It used to be farmland. It's a whole big housing development. I'm still in the agriculture center part of that. But, yeah, so many changes. Walmart. Sam's Club. None of that stuff was here. Oh, I hear you. Same th- same with the area I, that I moved into in Pottstown. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can't imagine. I can't believe that I've been there. Uh, oh, it'll be it'll be uh, thirty. Let's see, thirty four years oh, yeah, well, at the end of yeah, May that I've been in well, Pottstown, and how many changes oh, have taken God. place there? <laughs> I know you get so used to places now. My sister wants me to move to Shillington, but I'm not used to Shillington. <laughs> I like that here. Oh. Uh, Hardly any traffic and wonderful neighbors, and everybody helps me out. And uh, I don't know. Well, Ardell, I appreciated the call today, and I and yeah. you, you stay you stay uh, comfy despite the uh, the weather out there today. Okay. Yeah, I will. All right, Ardell. Place. All right. Okay, Bill. You take care. Nice okay. talking yeah, with you. You too. Bye, you too. Bye. Bye. Now, let's go to uh, Burnville. Irene wants to talk about uh, that water topic that I addressed first thing this morning. Good morning, Irene. Good morning. I wonder if they're going to do that water as good as they did the lead pipes in the major cities. (laughs) You want to to elaborate on that as to what you mean? (laughs) Well, it's like Detroit. You keep hearing that they have to replace all their lead pipes. Right, yeah. And you just keep hearing it. You don't hear that it's being done. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, I mean, it's expensive. 
really right, to, to replace lead piping. They're just going to add something else to it now, get more expensive. And probably they'll spend all that money just to figure out what to do, and they'll sit. Well, what I don't understand is if it's okay for the World Health Organization to say we only need to bring it down to a level of 100 parts per trillion, why then is the Biden EPA so fixated on bringing it down to four parts per trillion? I just don't understand that. Because then they're doing more than their part. Yeah, well. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. I know. I'll, I'll send my water bill to Mr. Biden if this, if this becomes law. There you go. Because <laughs> in some way it's going to affect everybody with, you know, like ones that have wells. Well, what are your thoughts on how the uh, Department of Defense reacted to this? Well, that made me start thinking about my own well. Ah, you have well water, do you? Yes. Okay. All right. And wondering how it's going to affect that. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I wish I had an answer for you, but I, maybe somebody out there listening might have an answer. And the other thing about the voting, you know, they want to exclude people. You know, whatever they do, they do. But it's like, well, you can't report people. A doctor can't report somebody with mental problems so that they can't get a gun and be flagged. But you can report them so that they can't vote. Yeah, I don't. I, this this is something, and I, and I doubt very seriously that the, that uh, that lawmaker's Dush's law uh, Dush's proposal is going to become law. I doubt seriously it will, but it but it does raise the question, HIPAA questions for sure, uh, how the court uh, would determine that somebody is mentally incompetent uh, to the point where they wouldn't be able to vote. I, I just don't see that. That's what I mean. It's like you know. There's more questions than answers. Yeah. And they'll pick, pick the most questionable way of doing it. <laughs> Let's just leave our, our election code alone. Just let it, leave it be. It was fine all these years. Let, let's not make any changes. Oh, well. And can I just make one comment about Absolutely. immigration? Yeah, go ahead. I just hope with them saying Allentown is going to be a sanctuary city mm-hmm. that they don't start sending Bus loads there, and they're overflowing to this county more. Well, are you talking about Texas sending them there? You mean? Yes, and Florida. Well, they could, they could if if uh, if that does uh, in fact happen. Because it sounded like it did. Yes, you know, on the Pennsylvania news. Mm-hmm. Well, I you know we'll have to wait and see, but uh, uh, you know, I, I, well, I, I, I wipe my hands uh, as far as uh, these sanctuary cities are concerned. In fact, I'm going to share, if we have time today, I'm going to share a story, uh, an article that talks about how Democrats who are running the cities that are sanctuary cities, how they're regretting it now. And that's what doesn't make sense. Why are they voting for it now when they see what's happening to all the other ones? I'd have to, I'd, I'd have to look at that story and, and get more facts to be able to answer you. Yeah, all right. they're saying on the news is that they voted for it. All right, yeah, I'll have to follow up on that and see where that stands. All right, well, th- thank, anything else you wanted to share That's today? It. All right, Irene, thanks for calling in. Appreciate your comments. Okay. All right, Bye-bye. bye-bye now. 610-374-8800, toll-free, 888 Well, Speaker Mike Johnson says he's very optimistic that Congress will avert a shutdown, uh, which they've got their deadline coming up this Friday in the first of two 
phases uh, for uh, budget talks. This I got from The Hill. Uh, the Johnson made his comments after the meeting at the White House that the uh, congressional leaders had with uh, Mr. Biden uh, regarding this. He says, uh, Johnson says, we will get the government funded and we'll keep working on that, he said. Well, the positive outlook comes three days ahead of Friday's partial government funding deadline. Uh, when four of the 12 annual spending bills are due, without congressional action this week, a slew of programs and agencies will simply shut down. The remaining eight bills will lapse on March 8th, and Johnson has been under intense pressure from his right flank to push for a number of controversial policy additions to annual spending bills, including provisions related to the border, abortion, and language that would eliminate the salaries of various cabinet officials. Those requests, however, have been soundly rejected by Democrats there on Capitol Hill. Well, Democrats and Senate Republicans, meanwhile, are uh, pressing uh, uh, for uh, uh, lawmakers to work in tandem to avert a shutdown. Uh, Chuck Schumer, the uh, majority leader in the Senate, on Tuesday before the White House meeting, said lawmakers can keep the lights on in Washington if both parties work together, while Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell a day earlier said the task at hand will require that everyone rows in the same direction toward clean appropriations and away from poison pills. In fact, uh, we've got uh, a soundbite here of Mitch McConnell. Here it is. Leader McConnell, Mr. Leader, could you talk about Speaker Johnson's position on the supplemental in that meeting with the president? Did it seem as though he's prepared to bring Ukraine to the floor of the House? You, you can ask the speaker about his views. I, I give you mine. You're familiar with them. Uh, what I hope is that the House will take up the Senate bill and let the House work its way. If they change it and send it back here, we have further delays. Not only do we not want to shut the government down, we don't want the Russians to win in Ukraine. And so we have a time problem here. And the best way to move quickly and get the bill to the President would be for the House to take up the Senate bill and pass it. That's Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Meanwhile, Schumer says uh, Johnson unequivocally told attendees at yesterday's meeting in the White House that he does not want the government to shut down, and the New York Democrat also reported good progress in the funding efforts despite some disagreements. So we'll see if come Friday the lawmakers can reach an agreement and, uh, and pass the bills so that the government can keep functioning. I, I don't know about you, but I'm growing tired of this story uh, year after year after year and these continuing resolutions that they pass to keep the government going. You know how I really wish they would come up with an annual budget and stick to it, but I'm growing tired of having to say that because the lawmakers just aren't listening, are they? All right, uh, we're going to take a break here, but when we come back, uh, we've talked about EVs and the EV movement coming to an abrupt halt, more or less, because so many people are saying, I'm not interested in buying one of those expensive vehicles right now. Well, one of the things that we haven't talked about is how this energy transition will affect workers and who's vulnerable as a result of that. The Hill's got an interesting op-ed piece on that. I'll share that with you when we come back in just a bit. Serving Paoli, Glenmore, Coatesville, and all of Chester County. This is News Talk 830. 
WEEU. Mike. And now back to Feedback with Bill Saunders on 830 WEEU, the voice of Berks and Beyond. Welcome back to Feedback, your on-air town square, here on The Voice of Burks and Beyond. News Talk 830 WEEU. Our phone number is here at 610-374-8800 or toll-free, 888-401-0459. You might recall a, a listener called in earlier, and uh, uh, one of the comments that he made uh, was that trickle-down economics isn't working. And I assume he used as his uh, proof of that uh, the high CEO salaries in, in relation to the average worker. Well, that got uh, Mike's attention from Bowmansville, and he ended up sending me an email that I'd like to share with you now. Again, this is Mike from Bowmansville, who's, who wrote, We're so concerned about the salaries of CEOs, but yet we pay a baseball player $70 million a year, or based on a full season of 160 games a year, 437000 $500 a game, or $48,611 per inning, or based on a three-hour game, $145,833 an hour. And then we have Taylor Swift, who's currently worth well over $1 billion for singing songs. To sum it up, it's interesting that we seem to give athletes and entertainers a pass when it comes to greed. Mike from Bowmansville, thank you for sharing your uh, opinion with us by way of email. I appreciate you doing so. All right, uh, let's see. Let's go back to the phones right now. Mike in Sinking Spring wants to weigh in on uh, an immigration bill that uh, is before the, uh, before the House. Mike, good morning. Welcome to Feedback. Good morning. Uh, I called in yesterday uh, about uh, different things, uh, comparing Trump and uh, Biden. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to go over them. But I, I do have one question. Did you hear about uh, Trump saying that uh, if he wins, he's going to be the dicta- be a dictator on the first day? That Trump said that specifically? Yeah, but, uh, when uh, Hannity was interviewing him. I, I, I don't have cable TV, so I, I did not uh, get to watch that interview. Well, I thought maybe you might have read it in the paper, because these. I mean, uh, I've read where I've read where Democrats are accusing Trump of being a dictator. Well, they uh, uh, the left wing news media's and even uh, uh, Biden said that you know that on the first day Trump said he's going to be a dictator. The only thing is they didn't tell the rest of the story. Uh, he said he on the first day he's going to be a dictator. He's going to shut down the border and drill, drill, drill. And all right, so, so, so Trump did say that. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Okay, all right, I wasn't aware of that. But in, in other words, he's going to uh, do the, presid- uh, the presidential mandate, uh, close the border, and, and get the industry up and, up and running, uh, the oil industry up and running again. But uh, like I say, the left-wing news medias are just given – I'm going to be a dictator. They never finished the statement. So, all right. Uh, 
I had a little bit of a discussion uh, with a gentleman that walks past the house with his dog every day, and he was down on me because I said that, uh, you know, the house shouldn't even think about passing this immigration bill. And uh, he tried to tell me that if they if they would, it's going to make things better. Well, I don't know. Did you ever do the math on this? On On what? Uh, on, on the immigration, on the immigration bill, was, bill? Uh, yeah, what math? Yeah. Share with me what you're referring to. Well, they they say uh, in the bill that uh, five thousand people, well, five thousand illegal immigrants will be let in a day, and uh, if it goes above eighty five hundred, they'll shut down the border on any given day. Right. Mm-hmm. Now. If 5,000 people come into this country every day for 365 days, that's 1,825,000 a year, and that's not counting the getaways. Uh, and he thinks this is, this is a better option than what we have now. Well, yeah, if Biden... Uh, gets in for another four years, uh, I don't think he's worried about the 5,000 a day. He'll just leave the border open. But, uh, you know, almost 2 million a year of illegals coming into this country, what's it going to do to this country? Well, you tell me. What do you think it's going to do to the country? We're going to go into the skids real quick because – they they say that they they come here to work. Well, we don't. Number one, we don't have enough jobs for the ones that are in here now. Uh, there was roughly about two million job openings over and above. Uh, originally, they were saying it was either ten or eleven million dollars. Uh, yeah, ten or uh, eleven a million jobs were open after COVID. Well, uh, and they said there was about two, two mil. Uh, boy, I'm getting all messed up here. Two million jobs open yet, and uh, we let in more than two million illegals. So what are they going to do? They'll probably go on welfare. All the women have to do is have a kid in this country, and they got their anchor baby. <clears throat> All right. Well, I, I'm going to I was going to to hold off on immigration until the next hour. But uh, since you bring this topic up, uh, I'll share some uh, things that I have on this. Uh, well, you know, uh, we're, we're supposed to be a nation of laws and there's a right way to come into this country and there's a wrong way. And the Democrats uh, are doing everything the wrong way. And uh uh, one of the Republican senators on Fox News, uh, I think he hit the uh, nail on the head that uh, the blue states and blue cities really want these people in their their states so that they can get more congressional seats because the census, when the census comes up, they count illegals. So the more more people in the states, the more congressional seats they get. All right, we'll have to leave it at that. 
Mike, thank you. I appreciated the call today. All right, 610-374-8800, toll-free, 888 So how do Americans feel about immigration? Well, according to a new Gallup poll, uh, and I got this right from Gallup, significantly more Americans name immigration as the most important problem facing the United States than did a month ago. 28% feel that way now, according to those who were polled, versus 20% simply a month ago. Immigration has now passed the government as the most often cited problem. After the two issues tied for the top position the past two months, the government ranked first each month from January through November of 2023, meaning that uh, people thought the government was the biggest problem that we face today. In the latest poll, 20% of Americans named the government as the most important problem, followed by the economy, which comes in at 12%, and inflation at 11%. Immigration is the only issue that has shown meaningful change in the past month. Again, according to Gallup, the latest results are based on a February 1st to 20th survey that they conducted, and immigration has ranked ahead of all other issues as the most important problem before having last done so five years ago, when there was a surge of attempted border crossings by Central American migrants. Immigration also ranked as the number one problem in July and November of 2018 and July of 2014. Gallup started compiling mentions of immigration as far back as 1981. The 28% currently naming immigration as the most important problem essentially ties the 27% reading from July of 2019 as the highest in Gallup's trend. Now, with that said, this might explain why. A lot of people feel that immigration is the problem today. Get a load of this. I got this from the New York Post this morning. A Venezuelan immigrant in the U.S. illegally, after being stopped and then released at the border five months ago, has now been charged in Virginia with sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl. Renzo Mendoza Montez, 32 years of age, was arrested last week on two felony charges for sexually assaulting an underage child, according to deputies in Campbell County. He is facing charges of carnal knowledge of a child without force and taking indecent liberties with a child. Authorities say Montez is a Venezuelan citizen who's been in the country illegally since he crossed the southern border into El Paso, Texas, back on September 2nd. He was detained and released by U.S. Customs and Border Protection, officials told Fox News. Montez is being held without bail now at the Blue Ridge Regional Jail as deputies continue to investigate the alleged crimes. But he's not the only Venezuelan migrant in this country illegally who is in trouble with the law. Get a load of this. I got this from Fox. A wave of violent crimes being carried out across America has been linked to Venezuelan migrants, and the U.S. government cannot deport any of them as that South American country will not take any of its citizens back. An illegal immigrant originally from Venezuela has been charged in connection with the violent murder of Georgia nursing student Lakin Riley on the University of Georgia campus last Thursday. Jose Antonio Ibera, 26 years of age, is the suspect. He was released into the U.S. via parole. Three ICE and DHS sources told Fox News that. In New York City, the police department up there, 
They're trying to crack down on a violent Venezuelan gang that it says is responsible for terrorizing residents there with dozens of robberies in the Big Apple, where the group has now been blamed for scooter and moped robberies as well as retail theft. At least two of its members were arrested in connection with a shocking mob assault of two New York City police officers last month. In a separate New York City case, a 15-year-old Venezuelan migrant was arrested for shooting at cops as he fled a sports clothing store in Times Square, where police say he shot at a security guard and ended up striking a tourist in the leg. In Chicago, meanwhile, four immigrants from Venezuela were arrested last week for allegedly robbing and beating a man on a CTA train in Chicago. Some migrants in the Windy City even told police that they are committing crimes there just so they can be deported back to Venezuela. But deporting law-breaking Venezuelan migrants just got harder for the U.S. government as the South American country has torn up a deal to let them be flown home from the U.S. and Mexico. Venezuela has stopped accepting flights of migrants deported from the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, the, the country's president, Nicolas Maduro's authoritarian regime, is refusing to cooperate with deportation requests. This after Washington reimposed some of the economic sanctions it had previously lifted on Venezuela. That according to a report in the Wall Street Journal. Even so, the Biden administration has deported only a tiny fraction of Venezuelan migrants who have entered the country illegally. Just over 830 Venezuelan border crossers were reported in fiscal year 2023, which ended on September 30th, according to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, despite 335,000 Venezuelan citizens being encountered by border authorities. More than 201,000 of them were apprehended by Border Patrol agents after crossing illegally into the United States. The rest were encountered at ports of entry, which include uh, CBP-1 app paroles into the United States. You know, that app that Mr. Biden and Mr. Mayorkas have been talking so proudly of. And then there's this. Yet another illegal migrant is in trouble with the law. I got this from the Washington Times today. The man accused of shooting three District of Columbia police officers and walling himself off for hours two weeks ago is in the country illegally, according to a report. Shooting suspect Stephen Claude Radigan, 48 years of age, has an active deportation order with Immigration and Customs Enforcement, according to an independent reporter. The report didn't share Mr. Radigan's country of origin, though. Mr. Radigan was charged with opening fire on three Metropolitan Police officers as authorities tried to serve an animal cruelty arrest warrant on February 14th. Police say the suspected gunman shot through his front door in the southeast part of D.C. as officers were trying to force their way in. The three officers were wounded in the hand, leg, and ankle, according to police. All were released from the hospital a day later. Mr. Radigan remains behind bars on charges of assault with intent to kill and assault on police officers, among other weapons charges. His next court hearing is scheduled for tomorrow. Court documents said authorities were trying to serve the animal cruelty arrest warrant after he was accused of punching a dog outside his home last year. Subsequent investigations by the Washington Humane Society, an animal welfare organization, found that Mr. Radigan was housing multiple dogs in unsanitary conditions. 
Wow. How much how many more do we need to go over before we realize that immigration is a problem here? And when I come back, I'm going to share this story from the Washington Examiner on how Democrats are realizing their sanctuary city was a huge mistake. Stay with us when feedback continues. Serving Myerstown, Fredericksburg, Newmanstown, and all of Lebanon County. This is News Talk 830, WEEU. And now back to Feedback with Bill Saunders on 830 WEEU, the voice of Berks and beyond. the feedback you're on air town square where our number zero six ten three seven four eighty eight hundred or toll free triple eight four zero one zero four five nine if you'd like to weigh in on the topics of the day or you want to bring your own topic to the table either way we'd love to hear from you today marie and redding bear with me for just a minute i want to round out my uh, segment on uh, immigration here uh, with a piece from the washington examiner and then I'll, I'll take your call so bear with me for just a few moments here Kaylee McGee-White has an interesting uh, column in the Washington Examiner with the headline, Democrats realize their sanctuary city policies were a mistake. Here's what Ms. McGee-White writes. Footage earlier this month of an illegal immigrant flipping the bird at reporters after being arrested and then released following the assault of a police officer in New York City perfectly summed up the dilemma sanctuary cities such as New York find themselves in. Over-eager to prove their liberal bona fides, these cities have welcomed and protected thousands of criminal immigrants who just so happen to realize they can flout the law without consequence. And now, they're stuck with them. Perhaps it is this image that is forcing Democrats to admit that preventing immigration officials from removing illegal immigrants who pose a threat to their communities may have been a mistake. New York City Mayor Eric Adams, for example, insisted this week that the city's sanctuary policies, at the very least, must be modified, quote, so that if you commit a felony, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. Well, how about that? Adams has learned this the hard way. The city has experienced a significant crime spike, a good portion of which is tied to the illegal immigrants flooding its streets. New York shelters for illegal immigrants have had it to enact curfews and install cameras in an effort to control the violence that regularly breaks out. Officials are even considering installing metal detectors in the facilities as well. Illegal immigrants have also been involved in an uptick of robberies throughout New York, with police arresting seven immigrants from Venezuela this month alone, who allegedly committed at least 62 robberies across five of the city's boroughs. Ironically, crime in Venezuela has been going down over the past several months, its violent death rate falling to a 22-year low as hundreds of thousands of single men from the country pour over our southern border. The obvious solution would be to arrest and deport any illegal immigrant convicted of breaking the law, or at the very least, the city should throw those charged behind bars. New York refuses to do either. 
Its sanctuary city policies prevent local law enforcement from working with immigration officials to deport criminal immigrants, and its general reluctance to impose any sort of consequence on those who break the law means too many criminals, illegal immigrants or not, end up right back on the streets. The constant drain on resources that accompanies illegal immigration is also forcing Democrats to reconsider their policies. In Chicago, a growing number of city leaders there and activists have expressed frustration with its sanctuary city status after Mayor Brandon Johnson allocated $138 million of the city's funds to sheltering and feeding illegal immigrants. Their parks and community centers are being turned into makeshift shelters as the city struggles to find room for the tens of thousands of illegal immigrants arriving every month. Even Governor J.P. Pritzker, who proudly signed an executive order back in 2019 declaring illegal immigrants as critical to the fabric of our state, his words now, has resorted to begging Texas for mercy and to stop sending them north. Of course, it's highly unlikely Adams or Pritzker will actually do what must be done and push their party to abandon its nonsensical sanctuary policies. They'd much rather point the finger at Texas for sending illegal immigrants to them in the first place, or at the Biden administration for not providing them with enough funding to back their sanctuary commitments. They'll blame anyone but themselves when the fact is this crisis has been entirely self-inflicted. Kaylee McGee White in the Washington Examiner, and the piece is titled, Democrats Realize Their Sanctuary City Policies Were a Mistake. With that said, let's go back to the phones. Marie in Reading, thank you for your patience. You wanted to comment on a caller earlier. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Phil. Uh, actually, I, I wanted to comment on the last three calls you had yesterday. Um, I thought they were excellent calls. Um, the gentleman and uh, the woman, and I can't remember who the last one was, but uh, Bob. Bob, the uh, the Bob from Leesport. Leesport. Mm -hmm. I always like listening to him. But then I heard Richard this morning, and I had to call in because I really like the way they throw around that word misinformation. Like like Republicans just feed on it. Like it's only the Republicans. Well, I have news for a few people out there. You can't pick and choose what you want to call misinformation because I call misinformation. All the stuff that was hurled at Donald Trump when he was elected in 2016, and no one cared about that, and no one cared about the misinformation with Hunter Biden's laptop. Nobody cared about that misinformation. And then we also have that tragic murder of that college student in Georgia, and some of the liberal media are blaming her. They're actually turning the tables and making it sound like this young woman had something to do with her brutal murder. I think the misinformation label is being abused by certain people, and some of them are your are callers that call in. Because I'll also tell you this much: the gentleman that called about the uh, the in vitro fertilization, the embryos, the mm -hmm. other day, right. and claimed it was affecting his family, even though it's only down in in uh, Georgia and Al Alabama. Alabama, excuse me. Um, when Joe Biden became president. He controlled the House and the Senate. So I surely would like to know how it is anybody on the Republican side that 
Roe v. Wade was overturned and allowed to be overturned because he controlled Congress and the Senate, and they had every opportunity to codify Roe v. Wade, but they were not satisfied with doing that. They wanted to make it unlimited abortion all the way up to birth. And no one, no one with a right mind would, would agree to that, even on the Democratic side, and they controlled both houses. So I would like to know which part of misinformation only applies to Republicans. I really want to know that. And I also would like to comment on the fact that Joe Biden is more of a dictator than Donald Trump could ever be. Mr. Biden is trying to limit the, what kind of car you drive, what kind of appliances you buy. What, they are trying to control every aspect of our lives. And I don't know about anybody else out there, but I don't consider that freedom under the U.S. Constitution. I think it is more dictatorship than anything. And then when he was caught lying about the uh, special prosecutor uh, bringing up his son Bo's death, and he was proven to be lying about that, and he spoke out and said, what business was it of theirs for them to ask? When in reality, ABC News reported, who is quite liberal, that Joe Biden himself brought it up. And then all of a sudden it disappeared. Does anybody notice that? That not one more word has been said about that because his wife was outraged and Biden was outraged and the entire Democratic Party was outraged at this. And it turns out Mr. Biden was lying about it. And the fact is he he assumed, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, that the liberal media would cover up for him, but they didn't. And now they're being told not to fact-check him anymore, and I sure would like to know how that isn't misinformation. All right, we'll have to wrap it up there. I've got a hard commercial break uh, coming up here. I'm sure sure you do, Bill, so I apologize. No, no need to apologize. I'm sorry that we ran out of time here. But, you know, Marie, Marie, just to wrap this up real quick, just to wrap this up real quick, the word misinformation is the new term for censorship today. Yes, it is. All right. And it's always on MAGA Republicans. All right, we I, are the all right, all right Marie, I got to go. <laughs> Thanks for the call. We'll be back in just a bit. As we wrap up hour number two of your on air town square, known as Feedback, here on the voice of Berks and Beyond, News Talk 830 WEEU. And now back to Feedback with Bill Saunders on 830 WEEU, the voice of Burks and Beyond. Welcome back as we kick off the third and final hour of this Wednesday edition of Feedback. You're on air town square here on the voice of Burks and Beyond News Talk 830 WEEU. Along with Sean Tansky, I'm Bill Saunders. Thank you for making us part of your day today. Our phone numbers here are 610-374-8800 and toll free if you're calling from out of the area. It's 888-401-0459. And our email address here is feedback at 830weeu.com. And if you want us to read your email on the air, don't forget to include your first name, the town you live in, and let us know whether or not we have your permission to read it on the air. By the way, this programming note on Friday, this coming Friday during the 10 o'clock hour, 
I'll be joined by Ari Middleman. Ari is with a group called Keep Our Republic. It is a bipartisan group, by the way. There are Democrats and Republicans uh, that make up this group. And their effort is in keeping integrity in our elections today. So join me on uh, Friday during the 10 o'clock hour of feedback for uh, a conversation with uh, Ari Middleman and what uh, the Keep Our Republic people are doing uh, to keep integrity in our elections. All right, with that said, I want to talk with you about a piece that appears in The Hill. Now, The Hill is not a conservative publication by any stretch. Uh, They lean a little left, uh, but I I would consider The Hill primarily to be a middle-of-the-road publication. And there's a piece that's in there today with the headline, U.S. Energy Transition Policy is Leaving Vulnerable Workers Behind. It's written by Kaylin Graham and Christopher Niddle. Now, Kaylin is a Fulbright Scholar and graduate researcher at the MIT Center for Energy and Environmental Policy Research, while Christopher is the George P. Schultz Professor of Energy Economics at MIT's Sloan School of Management. He's also director of the MIT Center for Energy and Environmental Policy Research and deputy director for policy at the MIT Energy Initiative. So these folks know what they're talking about. And here's what uh, Ms. Graham and Mr. Niddle have to write. While the world continues to transition away from fossil fuels, an equally important aspect of this transition is being overlooked. It must be just, orderly, and equitable. While it may not have made headlines, planning this transition was one of the toughest topics in recent COP28 negotiations. In the end, negotiators left Dubai having created a dedicated work program to support their workers in vulnerable communities in shifting to a green economy. This monumental achievement puts pressure on the United States, home to one of the largest fossil fuel workforces in the world, to lead the way in transitioning its workforce from brown to green. But while the Biden administration has hinged its climate strategy on generating new green jobs in clean energy and manufacturing, New research at MIT's Center for Energy and Environmental Policy Research finds that current federal policy to support existing workers is inadequate and short-sighted. Our research paper, writes Kalen and, uh, and Christopher, published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, provides new economy-wide data on where employment in the United States is most vulnerable to the economic pressures of the green transition. We find that the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act fails to effectively support many parts of the country where employment is at risk. Our study calculates the average carbon intensity of jobs in every U.S. county. The higher the carbon intensity, the more likely jobs will be impacted by a shift away from fossil fuels. When mapped across the country, These carbon footprints provide a blueprint for policymakers to identify communities that will need support through the energy transition. Currently, the Inflation Reduction Act offers special subsidies for clean energy investment in a selection of energy communities that rely on fossil fuel uh, sectors. But according to our data, they write, many of the communities with the highest carbon footprints do not qualify. The map in their article shows the employment vulnerability of of counties that qualify for extra energy community funding. 
while another map in their article shows those that don't. Crucially, the orange counties in their map are those that have above-average employment vulnerability but are not recognized as energy communities. Communities that qualify if they have both high levels of fossil fuel employment and above-average unemployment. This makes sense for areas where there have already been heavy fossil fuel job losses, such as in Appalachia. But what about communities where layoffs are just starting? Oklahoma is second only to Texas in oil and gas employment and recently recorded more energy sector job losses than anywhere else in the country. But despite this, the state is almost completely ineligible for the energy community funding because unemployment is not yet high enough for communities to qualify. Conditioning their eligibility on the unemployment rate means these counties won't receive support until more jobs are lost. Similarly, communities can qualify if a nearby coal facility is closed. But this support only kicks in after the industry is shut up shop. Our results also warn against focusing exclusively on fossil fuel communities. While coal mining and oil and gas workers undoubtedly deserve support, they write, many of the counties that don't qualify as energy communities rely on industries that consume a lot of fossil fuels, such as the manufacturing of metals and chemicals. And these sectors will also be impacted as the economy moves away from dirty energy. Broadening the definition of an energy community to include those that are dependent on fossil fuel consumption would anticipate such impacts. These impacts are happening now. The recent United Automobile Workers strike was the first time in 80 years that workers walked out against all three major Detroit automakers, and among the union's key concerns was the shift to electric vehicles. EVs require less labor to manufacture than internal combustion engine vehicles, and automakers had previously refused to include workers at battery plants in their union contracts. Ultimately, the United Automobile Workers deal secured protection against impacts from the shift to EVs, but not all industries are represented by one of the most powerful labor unions in the country. Nor do they have a clear green alternative to pivot their business towards. Without proactive government intervention, we risk leaving workers in these industries behind and potentially incentivizing similar large-scale labor labor mobilization against the energy transition. To be clear, the Biden administration's work on the energy transition has far surpassed what anyone could have expected given the paralyzing political power of the fossil fuel industry. But if we're serious about achieving a truly just transition, far more federal policy action is needed. And crucially, this action needs to target the most vulnerable communities accurately. Otherwise, we can expect to see many more strikes in the future. Very interesting piece. It appears in The Hill with the headline, U.S. Energy Transition Policy is Leaving Vulnerable Workers Behind, written by Kaylin Graham and Christopher Niddle. All right, with that in mind, let's go to the phones right now. Let's uh, go to Anilani Township and talk with Rudy today. Rudy, welcome to Feedback. Thanks for calling. Well, good morning, Bill. Thank you very much. That was really fast, and Sean took real good care of me. I I really appreciate that. Isn't he great? I I love him. I really do. He's been a great addition to the show. He is awesome. Uh, Listen, uh, I hope this is appropriate. Um, 
I'm doing some really uh, deep research into Mr. Francis Parvin. Um, Francis Parvin was one of the people who emigrated from Europe here to uh, the United States and uh, settled here in the hamlet of Berkeley in Antolani Township. I actually live in a home that he and uh, other people in the area built. Um, and I, I am just toying around with the idea of having just a very small local celebration in honor of his, uh, let's see, the 17, uh, his 325th birthday. Wow. Uh, which would be next July. Um, I, I live with, within like, uh, I don't know, a block and a half of the original Parvin mansion, uh, which is on Snyder road. Anyone who lives in, in, um, you know, Antolani or, or the surrounding area knows where that home is. And, uh, there are, I guess, four remaining structures in the hamlet of Berkeley. Uh, one being the, uh, the Davis mill house. Uh, my home, which was built in 1754, the Parvin residence, and of course the old Berkeley Inn uh, was destroyed by fire. I forget when, maybe around mid-02, maybe somewhere around there. Okay. But uh, anyway, I, I've been in contact with um, two of the Parvins that I know of, the Parvin descendants who no longer live in the area. But uh, may I leave my telephone number, and uh, if anyone has any information whatsoever, I know it could be things like letters uh, from Francis Parvin or to Francis Parvin. Um, if you're a descendant, I would love to talk to you. Uh, but th this is just something that I think is extremely important to keep these things alive, because I I've talked to some people in the township and you know, they're new people who haven't lived here. Uh, I was born in 1947, lived in the township almost my whole life, except when I was in the service and a little while I lived in Indiana. But um, Antolani is a pretty cool place. It is. I agree with you. I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, share with me, uh, if you want to give your phone number out over the air, go right ahead and do it. But before you do, let me also suggest, uh, if you could, Rudy, if you could write up an email and send it to me, of, of the details, uh, I'd love to pass it on uh, to our, our Greg here, who's working, and I, maybe I shouldn't even be mentioning this new show that he's working on, uh, but this is, this is a perfect time to do this. We're going to be doing a, a brand new show, uh, I believe it's going to be in podcast form, on the history of Berks County. And, awesome. And this topic that you, that you brought up would be perfect uh, for Greg to focus on in, in one of his shows. So if you'll be kind enough to, to send me an email with all the details, uh, I'll pass that on to Greg and uh, and have him reach out to you, okay? I would be happy to. And uh, actually, Sean mentioned that I want to talk to someone internally there, so he may have been going down the same avenue as you, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait until I get some specific information uh, from some of the ancestors of Mr. Parvin. Sure, okay. Uh, and in the meantime, go ahead and give us your, your phone number of that if you if you want to do that. Absolutely. Um, my phone number is 610-587-1480. My first name is Rudy, R-U-D-Y, and that number again is 610-587-1480. All right, 610-587-1480. We got it. Rudy, thank you. 
Can I just mention one quick thing here? You were talking about energy this morning, and I have talked to you about energy in the past. Um, People have to be constantly reminded that, you know, the producers that we have, and I'm going to talk specifically about here in Pennsylvania, like EQT, Cotera, um, Chesapeake, uh, Range, uh, Southwestern, there's more, but uh, since I've retired, I forget some of them. But all of these people can produce and have the capabilities of producing more natural gas. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's the dry gas or whether it's the wet gas. We, we can't get that to the potential end users because we don't have the pipelines to get it to the end users. And until people understand that that whole problem is the gauntlet. You, you, you can't get molecules from point A to point B if you don't have the pipeline. And uh, we just have to keep reminding people of that. Rudy, thank you for taking the time to call in today. Great information. Appreciated it. No problem. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And I welcome all the phone calls about the Parvin situation. All right, Rudy. Take care. Have a good day. Wish you the same. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. 610-374-8800. Toll-free. 888 Those are the numbers if you want to chime in and share your opinion of what's happening today. Whether it's a topic I bring to the table or something you want to bring to the table. That's what the town square is all about, known as feedback. We'll be back in just a bit. Stay with us. Serving Barnesville, Schuylkill Haven, Tremont, and all of Schuylkill County. This is News Talk 830, WEEU. And now back to Feedback with Bill Saunders on 830 WEEU, the voice of Berks and Beyond. Yeah, I kind of let the cat out of the bag. Uh, during the uh, conversation I had just a moment ago with Rudy, uh, a project that Greg Cobild is working on. Uh, for those of you who remember the conversation that I had with our new owner, uh, John Treese, uh, a few weeks ago, one of the things that uh, John and Christine Treese want to do is increase our presence in social media uh, and on the Internet in particular. And uh, so podcasting will be one of the big things that we're going to be doing. Uh, and uh, one of the shows that uh, we'll be working on, no start date set yet. That's why I let the cat out of the bag uh, early here. But uh, one of the projects that we're working on is something that, uh, that Greg is going to be hosting and, and uh, producing on the history of Berks County. And I thought the, the very topic that, uh, that Rudy brought to the table today was a perfect example of something that would uh, fit in that podcast. So stay tuned. There's a lot of neat things that uh, John and Christine uh, Treese are, are doing here uh, to uh, bring us into the 21st century, so to speak. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that and, and many more things that uh, we're going to be doing in the future. So stay tuned, okay? All right, let's go back to the phones right now. Let's go to Matt and Shillington. Matt, good morning. Welcome to Feedback. Good morning to you, Bill. Wow, first it was so neat to hear my friend Ardell's voice once again. She's a, a wonderful lady whom I met several years ago at a live remote at Agency Vacuum. Best wishes to you, Ardell. 
Also, Bill, you know I love listening to opinions, but I'm also a firm believer in your feedback rule that uh, if you make a factual claim, you should provide a source for the claim. Uh, last year, or last hour, I heard a caller claim that some media sources are actually suggesting that the Georgia murder victim was somehow to blame for her own death. Bill, I had not heard that claim before, and during a brief Google search, I couldn't find anything supporting that claim. So let me just say for the record, I have no idea if that claim is true. What I am saying is if I hear that claim in the future, I would certainly expect to hear the name of the source uh, for that claim. Uh, my main topic, Bill, I bet you laughed when you saw it here, back to English class, uh, because I'm not much older than you. I'm confident when I say that all of my grammar teachers and your grammar teachers are turning over in their graves over a decision made by Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It just hit the other day. Did you come across it by any chance, Bill? No, no, I did not. Do you remember the following rule which was drilled into us almost on a <laughs> daily basis? The rule was simple. Never end a sentence with a preposition. Right. Words such as with, from, uh, to, T-O, or for, F-O-R. Well, Bill, the publisher of Merriam-Webster uh, uh, made the change that it is permissible, and the publisher actually ended his first sentence with the preposition when he said, quote, it is permissible in English for a preposition to be what you end a sentence with, end quote. <laughs> Bill, my grammar teacher would have docked me points if I wrote that sentence and would have corrected my sentence with this one, quote, it's permissible in English to end a sentence with a preposition, end quote. Uh, Bill, the reason the change, uh, it was published at several websites, but I'm citing the review at NPR. Uh, what happened was the uh, the publisher said, quote, the idea that prepositions should be avoided came from writers who were trying to align English with Latin. But English is not a Latin-based language such as French or Spanish, so there's no reason to suggest ending a sentence with a preposition is wrong. Bill, I can't begin to tell you, after all the – I bet you did as much work as I did – after all the hard work we did to construct those sentences correctly, now Merriam-Webster <laughs> says, never mind. How disheartening is it, my friend? Oh, you know, my goodness. Back to those elementary school days – we talked about this – where I worked so hard to have my teacher place that gold star on my work. And then I became a teacher and learned the school could buy a 1,000 gold stars for 99 cents. <laughs> Very disheartening. Bill, bottom line, on behalf of my grammar teachers, I refuse to accept this change and will continue to abide by the rule. But this one's half combination, a bit more serious. Another change which I refuse to accept, Bill. Mm -hmm. I heard it on Jeopardy of all places last week, oh, and honestly, it made me cringe. Uh -oh. It was during final Jeopardy. Contestants had written their answers, and Ken Jennings is now reviewing them. Uh -huh. Here's how it went. Quote, we begin with Jesse Matheny, his response, and then they give his response, and did he have it right or wrong? Then Jennings says, Mira Davis was in second place with $9,800. What did she write down? And then we hear Mira's response. Now, finally, Jennings, now we go to Deb Bilodeau. They were in the lead with $13,600, and their response is... 
Bill, I was glad I was sitting down when I heard that. You know, I've heard about this development before, but never thought I would hear it on Jeopardy. Apparently, those who do not identify as male or female prefer to be addressed in plural pronouns. I can't even be, think what our grammar teachers would say. I will tell you this, Bill. If I were still teaching and heard one of my students prefers plural pronouns, I would do one of two things. Either use that student's first name or constantly use the pronoun you. In fact, Bill, let me end it this way. But, uh, do you remember? Well, I'll put it this way. Uh, being a product of the coal regions, I can honestly tell you, Bill, I had to go to college to learn that the plural of you is you. Were you aware of that? Yes, unless you live in Philadelphia where it's yous. There you go. <laughs> so uh, I'll end it this way, Bill. I see you have a new producer. Could you tell us how are yous two getting along, Bill? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm telling you, I love, I love having Sean with me, for sure. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, with that, let's go to Mount Penn and speak with Candy this morning. Candy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask if any of uh, your listeners happen to have seen, um, I saw a picture today of Biden uh, with doing some kind of a press conference with an ice cream cone in his hand. Oh, yes, hand. yes. Well, was, that, was that negotiations with Israel? Uh, uh, no, I, 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 to be honest with you, I saw the photo, but I, I cannot recall off the top of my head what the... Uh, uh, what the basis of the article was. I don't know if it if he uh, was if it uh, was in reference to Michigan's primary or or what it was all about. Oh well, I mean, come he, on. He loves his ice cream. Uh, well, well, yeah, I, and I mean, and and I think it's it's very insulting too that somebody was saying he does more work in one hour than most men do in a day. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. <laughs> I think that's insulting to your your common working class people. And, and from what from what standpoint? Well, I I I don't think he's he's really competent. And I I mean uh, you can say you know there's labor and then you know you work with your with your uh, with your arms and your hands, but and then there's like thinking. But I I, I just thought that was really a, a, a terrible kind of that he couldn't he had to have his ice cream cone it reminds me of a kid that has to have their what we used to call foolers in their mouth so you so you have a problem with a photo of him a photo taken of him with ice cream in his hand uh with an ice cream cone uh yes i do i mean do you think that's an appropriate image to send to people well i'm, I'm i don't i personally don't have an issue with it it's yeah, not oh, really? it, it's really? not uh, to be honest with you, it's not the first photo that was taken of the president with an ice cream cone in his hand oh yeah uh but yeah. uh but i uh, i, I <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we'll we'll differ on on our opinions about a photo like that. I don't but, have a problem with it myself. Uh, what do you make of of the people up in Michigan? They uh, they voted uh, a what? They had so many votes uh, on uncommitted or something like that. Yeah, there was a movement uh, underway there. In fact, one of the uh, one of the uh, people who pushed that movement was Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who's from Michigan, uh-huh. uh, and because there's a a huge Arab uh, community up mm-hmm. there in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to send a, a protest vote against President Biden for his stance on the war in Gaza. So uh, they uh, they voted uncommitted in the primaries of vote as opposed to voting for Biden. And uh, apparently, well, yeah, yeah, that I, that that isn't in, isn't sending too good of a message to him. 
Well, apparently the uncommitted was also in the Republican primary there in Michigan as well. Oh, uh, not, oh yeah. Not, ju- not just the uh, Democratic primary, but I'll talk, mm-hmm. if I have time today, I'll talk about uh, the, uh, the unofficial results so far as a result of that uh, uncommitted movement. Well, it, 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 it doesn't look too good for him in that state. And I guess they're trying to, to say they're probably supporters of Hamas. Well, the bottom line is uh, they're going to uh, they're they're going to end up voting for Biden in November if he ends up being the party's nominee, and it looks like he and uh, Trump are going to be their respective party's nominees. Uh, but I, I'm trying to look. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, Biden captured 81 percent of the vote in yesterday's primary there in Michigan, and on the Republican side, Trump got 68 percent versus Nikki Haley's 27 percent. Uh, those are the unofficial results from uh, uh-huh. from the Michigan primary. So okay. even even with that uncommitted movement, uh, Biden mm-hmm. still got the majority of the votes uh, yesterday. Oh, he did. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, as far as that ice cream cone goes, though, I guess uh, I shouldn't sweat the small stuff. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion on that. You, yeah. you find issue with it, I don't. It doesn't really matter in the whole scheme of things when you mm-hmm. when you take a look at it from that standpoint. Okay. Well, thank you. All right, Candy. Have thanks for calling in. You too. Bye bye. Now, uh, speaking of uh, uh, comments about the about Biden, I'm rather surprised at how many uh, former aides to President Obama are speaking out about uh, Biden. Uh, the New York Post has an interesting piece where they say former aides who worked directly with then Vice President Joe Biden in the Obama administration have called current fears over his age a very real issue, with some alarmed at how he's become more frail and mumbly. John Favreau is one of them. He was the chief speechwriter for Obama when Biden was vice president. And he appeared on a recent episode of the Pod Save America podcast. And here's a clip from that interview. If you watch Joe Biden speak, oftentimes he sounds frail and he sounds more frail than he used to, even in 2019 and 2020. Now, that may and I think doesn't have anything to do with how sharp he is mentally. But the voice sounds frail, and he shuffles more because of the arthritis in his back. So for most people in the country who are just watching him be president, what do they see when they turn on the television? They see exactly. him shuffle, and they hear him, and he is he's swallowing a lot more of his words. Now, obviously, he's had a stutter, but it doesn't sound like the stutter did even in 2020. He's just soft-spoken and quiet. And I find it interesting. I have osteoarthritis all up and down my back and in my neck. But I don't shuffle when I walk. Of course, I'm not uh, in my 80s either. But anyway, podcast co-host John Lovett, another ex-Obama speechwriter, agreed with what Favreau said and argued that the Biden campaign should get the president out in public to demonstrate his mental and physical abilities, even if they're concerned that he will make more gaffes. Meanwhile, former Obama senior advisor Dan Pfeiffer expressed his own concerns in a separate interview. He told Courier, it's very real, it is a very real issue. He went on to say, if Biden can't assuage particularly among his voters from 2020, then I don't think he can win the election. So in some ways, it's the crux for his campaign. Pfeiffer said addressing Biden's age should be the first strategic priority for the reelection campaign. He said there's a segment of, re- of voters 
who have decided as of right now, I think, their minds can be changed, who have decided that Joe Biden is too old for the job and can't do it. So they're not going to listen to anything he says, Piper said. Then there's former Obama campaign strategist David Axelrod, who alluded to reports of anonymous White House sources talking about Biden's angry behavior behind the scenes and suggested Biden embrace his temper and confront former President Donald Trump directly with short phrases and Biden-esque language that could go viral online. And I think uh, the president's temper was uh, rather evident uh, in his uh, primetime uh, press conference, that hastily prepared one, uh, immediately following the release of the Her report. All right, we're going to take a break, and then I'll be back with your calls when feedback continues in just a bit. UB40 bringing us out of that commercial break here on The Voice of Berks and Beyond, News Talk 830 WEEU. Let's go back to the phones right now, speak with George in Lancaster. George, good morning. Welcome to Feedback. Thank you very much. Uh, my condolences about the osteoarthritis in your back. I've got it in my right shoulder, right knee, right hip. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. I, I walk lopsided. Do you really? Yeah, yeah, to a degree. You know, oh at least a limp. Hey, um, I wanted to, the, the discussion about the prop, uh, preposition, you, reminded me of an experience I had while working in farming many years ago. We, we had a, this is a true story. We had a, um, a British, British sheep called Horned Dorset. They come from uh, Dorset uh, County in England. Um, well, as we took lambs for sale at a particular farm, I saw a ram crying, the, a male sheep. I asked the fellow in charge why the ram was crying so hard. He told me there was a song on the radio playing called There'll Never Be Another You. <laughs> I'm sorry to do that to you, buddy, but uh, I just when I heard the word you, I thought of that right away. I, I'm not, I hope you don't mind me telling you this. I'm not pulling the wool over your eyes. No. I needed that laugh today. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Well, fair enough then. All right, enough of this big manure spreader. You have a good day, friend. <laughs> you too, George. Thanks for calling, Thank buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Let's go to uh, Pete in uh, Reading. He's got a message for us. Pete, thanks for calling in. Good morning. Hey, Bill. It's Pete the List guy. Long time no here. Yeah, it's good to talk with you again. Yeah, it's been a little stressful, but uh, we're getting through it. I, I told you about losing my father a couple yeah, months ago, right? Yeah, you did. You did. How are yeah, you holding well, up? Well, yesterday would have been his 85th. Oh, my. Yeah, and last week was my mom's 80th, but we had uh, a breakfast for that day, and then we just had a um, uh, a pizza luncheon with the whole gang up at the house. So Aww. it's it's slowly, but it's it's getting into or modifying the routine, I guess, the best way you can describe it. I hear you. Yeah, so. But, uh, hey, I wanna, I'm glad that you're still on air. I'm glad you guys are, are doing well with the new owners, and hopefully all the adjustments made will be positive ones. I um, think they will be. I, I hope so, too. I'm, Stay I'm, tuned. I think, you'll be, I think you'll be happy with what we're going to do. Yeah, Sean seems to be doing a good job. I just spoke with him. He said he was there for a couple of months, so 
I'm glad they kept him around, too, so that's a good thing as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly there. Yeah. I figure we need to have some positive things going on. I mean, all this negativity in the world is just, it sucks. It does, doesn't well, it? Plain, plain, plain and simple. It's, it sucks. It bites however you want to say it. I won't go any further because I don't want you to believe me. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know what I mean. You can you, you fill in the blank. You like Gene Rayburn would say, use your, you fill in the word, and chances are it's what it is. No, the two words but, you used are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the thing about illegals, I mean, it's just that when are people going to get their – well, my father used to say heads out of their back pockets are out of their behinds and realize that it's – if you want to come into the country fine and good, come in legally. I mean, you come in illegally, and it's just like they're, 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 feeding, they're feeding the frenzy to come in. And then, then, they, then when everybody's in here, they wonder why things are failing. And it's like people are people. I mean, you're legal, you're illegal. If you're not, le- if you're not legal – become legal i mean it's not that hard but i mean it helps too if the system actually works the way it's supposed to work and sometimes that doesn't work either and i get that too you know well i'm trying to figure out why why the democrats say that our immigration system is broken i mean that's that's the reasoning the rationale that they're using uh for for uh becoming more lenient at the border and yet i haven't heard any specifics if if it's broken Share with the public what is broken, and then have Congress fix it. Fix it, right? Right? Like, like uh, I was always taught, you write a list down of things that are broken and fix it. You know, do 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 break it, break the list down, write the list down. Okay, what's a priority? What's not a priority? You know, Social Security, that's a priority. You know, transportation, well, that's probably in the middle of a priority. You know what I mean? Get things like that done. You know what I mean? Right. But anything, I just want to say that. Calling another thing and just with all the stress in the world and everything that's going on, I found out that sometimes now don't do this while you're driving or operating machinery because you know it could be dire consequences. Take a minute just to stop wherever you are, just to stop, look around where you're at, count the blessings you have, and say, Okay, what's good in my life? What is in the past year really, really? sucked well with me you know about my father mm-hmm. but uh you know whether you have whether you got uh, an, an injury an illness you know you have some some sort of <clears throat> I'm, I'm saying mental illness i'm not saying that in a negative way i'm just saying that you know some things are not you know some things are getting so shuffled you don't know where to turn you know, there's always help out there. I mean, you will, you guys put out all the commercials for different help for different agencies to help for different needs of whatever. And sometimes it just helps to just say, stop and think. And if you're driving, and I know <clears throat> you don't promote like other stations or whatever, but you know about the classical station down in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. correct? Right. I'm saying put that on. Uh, aside from the other music, put that on and just listen to some Bach or some Mozart or something. Something that'll get you in the mood, even though if it's <clears throat> a, a sonata or a cantata or an aria or whatever. Just something that, just sit back and listen to it and just let your body reset itself a little bit. Because I do that a lot. I, I listen to it in my when I'm listening to you guys, like in the afternoon, I listen to it in the car driving. And I feel it calms you, especially 
especially when you think about having road rage sets coming out there so much. I mean, if more people would listen to like calming music instead of this other stuff that's all negative. I mean, my goodness, come on. So that's but, my but, thought for the day. But I you know, you're. I, you're but I put he, my two cents in there. I don't want any change back. No, you, you are so right when you say that uh, we're not spending enough time, if, if any, <clears throat> on the good things. Uh, right. in our lives today. Very good advice, Pete. I appreciate you sharing that. And especially good things with the family, too. I mean, that's the one thing. When something happens negative to family, you know, and, and I know that there are people that have broken families or anything, seek out friends, seek out even coworkers who can f- feel friendly. Somebody is there to bend in there. Even clergy, you know, somebody like that, they're there to at least lend in there and maybe give you some advice, you know. Whether you take the advice or not, that's up to you. But at least you want just just to get another opinion. And that, I feel that that's kind of helping. And I've helped a lot of my friends and family that have lost dear ones over the past couple of years. So with and and with all the other stress, it's just you know just relax. Well, Pete, thank you so much, and continue to uh, to heal. Okay, buddy. Okay, thank you, and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for letting me vent. I appreciate it. No problem. I love, I love hearing from you. And give my best to everybody on the station, okay? Well, I think they just heard you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care. All right, Pete. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Uh, we're almost out of time here. Let me uh, real quick share with you. I, I told you I was going to uh, share with you the results of that uh, uh uncommitted movement out there in Michigan. These are unofficial results that I got from denews.com. Uh, President Biden easily won the primary last night. That part was never in question. What was in question, however, was how many voters would register their discontent by voting uncommitted. And while the final results won't be available for days, what was already clear in the minutes after the last polls closed last night was that the effort to send Biden a message would work. In fact, when all the votes are tallied, the campaign in Michigan to get Democrats to vote uncommitted might even send former President Trump a message. The uncommitted campaign said it hoped to get 10,000 votes in the Michigan primary. That threshold was so easily cleared Tuesday that uncommitted looked like it would get 10,000 votes in the Republican primary alone. In the Democratic uh, primary, the message was far stronger. Soon after polls closed, uncommitted looked like it would even surpass 100,000 Democratic votes, perhaps even 150,000, a clear rebuke of the president's unconditional support for Israel. And with that, we'll take a break. We'll be back. Well, thanks to Sean, we now have an answer as to uh, uh, the question with Biden and the ice cream cone. It was a segment on uh, Seth Meyers' Late Show, right? Yep. Thank yep. you, buddy. No problem. As always, That's you're, what I'm here for. <laughs> you're doing a great job. I appreciate that. I never would have known, you know? So thank you, bud. And uh, thank you for doing a great job today. Appreciate it. And I want to thank everybody who called in today, shared their opinions. You guys, as I say every day, you are the stars of the show. So let's keep it up, okay? We'll do it again tomorrow. Right now, it's news time. And then after that, it's a whole afternoon of talk radio. With Dan Bongino from noon to 3, followed by the uh, Ramsey Show from 3 to 6, right here on The Voice of Berks and Beyond, WEEU.